Okay, we are going to begin with some um, opening music from Joyce. So if everyone wants to get seated and quiet and ready for this fabulous day, here we go.
so much, Joyce. One of my personal faves. Thank you. Happy Easter, everyone, and welcome to Unity of Centralia, Positive Center. Center for Positive. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> it's a great day. <laughs> so we're going to start this morning with the daily word reading for Easter. I am resurrected through the power of the Christ. On this glorious Easter day, I am resurrected and brimming with new life. The stones of defeat and limitation have rolled away. I am free and unlimited. Throughout my Lenten journey, I heeded the call from my soul to recognize the stones in my consciousness and awaken to the infinite potential within me. I can now rejoice in the shimmering light of awareness with an open, joyful heart. My faith is strong, and I am ablaze with the radiance of spirit. I welcome eternal indwelling life into my mind and heart. Hope never dies. Jesus transcended death and demonstrated life is eternal. With a grateful heart, I rise up and claim new life. I am resurrected through the indwelling Christ. It's a new dawn, a new day, a new beginning. I have risen. And from John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. And we will sing Surely the Presence, and Joyce will lead us. Thank you. 
you can turn and greet your neighbors. Or run around the room and greet them. Or wave to them on Zoom. Okay. Go wave to some more people. Oh, thank you. Morning, John. Easter. How's the sound there today? Music's okay? Okay. Thank you, Jerry, Jerry. Happy birthday. Hi, Harpers. Hi. 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 We all hugged up. He said hi, John. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, I, okay. good to see you. Okay, so it's time for announcements, and I know two things. Uh, today, there's a board meeting after our Easter brunch, and I believe you all are welcome to attend. And um, today at two o'clock at Bear Raven is Grandfather Ray Wilson's Indian Christian service, which you also are all welcome to attend. Um, and then our um, slide creator today has a special day. Uh, she was born on Easter Sunday and has not celebrated her birthday on Easter for decades. She can tell you how many. And anyway, we have cake, and uh, you can greet Seven her. Seven decades to be precise. <laughs> <laughs> 73 years, yeah. Wow. Yay. So anyway, you could wish her a happy birthday and give a piece of cake and give her a hug after service. Are we going to sing? We'll grab the daffodil. 
Uh, they were grown right outside here. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. what, what about the happy birthday song? <laughs> Go ahead, Johnny. Lead us. <laughs> happy no, birthday, birthday to you. To happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Oh, Lord. Does anyone have any other announcements? Wait a minute, I'm going to change that. I am eternal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Then we will say our unity statement together next. We believe in our oneness with all life and the power of love. We teach universal principles and values as taught by Jesus and others, revealing the one God presence. We practice prayer, meditation, and service to be conscious of our oneness in God. And our song of joy today is He is Risen. It's on page 298 in the hymnal or on the screen. And uh, please feel free to stand and sing out. There are multiple uh, 
writings about the actual story of the resurrection. And I have chosen today to go with John. Um, and let's see. It's a long one. Stick with me. We'll start with the crucifixion. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of Skull. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the King of the Jews to he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom, in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus's mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. The death of Jesus. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. It was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath and a very special Sabbath because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten to their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one they pierced. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission 
to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus. At night, he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for until then they still hadn't understood the scripture that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home at the end, at the head, and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because the tomb crying and as she wept she stooped and looked in she saw two white robed angels there they are one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying dear woman why are you crying the angels asked her because they have taken away my Lord she replied and I don't know where they have put him she turns to leave and saw someone standing there it was Jesus but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. That was... Just perfect.
Um, our meditation song is In the Garden. It's on page 89 and on the screen, and you may remain seated for this. for affirmations and so when you can see those we'll say them together in the little version all right uh oh i just got rid of mine hang on okay i am the love of god in expression i am truly thankful for all the good i already experienced I am growing more prosperous with every day. I am healthy, active, whole, and happy. I am always growing and expanding into the fulfillment of my potential. I am at peace knowing everything I need comes to me in the perfect time and the perfect way. And today, we will be saying the progressive Lord's Prayer followed by the Alleluia. So please join me. Our Creator, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, I am. I am thy kingdom come, I am thy will being done. I am on earth, even as I am in heaven. I am giving this day daily bread to all. I am forgiving all life 
even as I am also Olaf forgiving me. I am leading all people from temptation. I am delivering all people from error. For I am the kingdom, I am the power, and I am the glory of God in eternal, immortal manifestation. All this I am. the joy of having Audrey Pitchford with us. Audrey is a licensed Unity teacher from Olympia. And today, the title of her talk is The Kingdom of Heaven, the Fourth Dimension. Yes. So, there we go. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Hi, John. Hi, Sherry. We have Sherry, we're wearing the same color. I love that coral. Beautiful. Happy Easter. Hi, Fred. I saw you earlier. Hi, Merkers. Happy Easter. One more thunk. Okay. <laughs> Happy Easter, everyone. So you know me. I had to like bust out some Easter jokes. So here we are. Um, what do you call the funniest guest at Easter dinner? The Easter ham. <laughs> How about, what is the Easter Bunny's favorite restaurant? Um. I hop, oh, Eileen got it, yay. <laughs> you might hang around with children. <laughs> uh, last but not least, what happens if you tell jokes to an Easter egg? It cracks, it cracks up. up, yes, okay. I might've told that one before. So in any case, here we are, delighted to be with everyone this Easter day and seeing if I'm going to be able to advance my slides. Oh, there we are. Okay, so today we're going to talk about Easter. We're also going to talk about, like Susan mentioned, the kingdom of heaven and this thing called the fourth dimension. So before we get into the kingdom of heaven and the fourth dimension, we're going to talk about Easter and we're going to play a game because I, I like games and hopefully everyone else does too. So. Um, remember, all of this is going to be based on that book, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, that we've been working through by Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck. And remember that when we talk about metaphysics, that's just a long, fancy word referring to beyond the physical. And in unity, sometimes we use the word metaphysics to refer to theology, that study of what is God, what is humanity, and what's our relationship with each other. And we do all of this from a heart-centered perspective. So we bring our compassion, our courage, our oneness to all of these questions. And I just, I really like this picture too because it made me happy. Because it has chocolate in it. Everybody ready? I know we have some folks who like to play games. Um, the Easter game is when is, when is Christmas Day? It is not a trick question. 
December 25th. December 25th. Great. Yeah, everyone's looking at me suspiciously like, what kind of game are we playing? All right. Okay, everyone's doing pretty good. When is Independence Day? July 4th. Awesome. Great job. Okay, this is a little more advanced, but I know we have some veterans in the crowd. When is Veterans Day? November 11th. 11-11. Great job, everyone. Okay, last question. When is Easter Sunday of 2024? Today. Today. <laughs> Today's 2023. It's all over the place. Has something to do with the moon and the stars. Okay. The so, first, the first. I want to hear this. Go okay. Ahead. Okay. So it's the first Sunday after the full, the full moon after the equinox. Okay. Tom said it's the first wow. Sunday after the first full moon after the equinox. Yeah, super duper close. So um, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But you probably noticed that from year to year, Easter moves around. And I love that we have someone in our community, Joanne, who has her birthday on Easter today. She was born on Easter. Easter is actually like on a 19 year cycle, give or take. So um, a lot of folks with birthdays in the spring periodically might have their birthday in Easter. But when I was doing some research about uh, when is Easter, Here's the official definition. So you can see Tom was close. The first Sunday after the first Paschal full moon after the ecclesiastical equinox. And I don't know about you, but there's like two words I understand in this sentence, Sunday and moon, <laughs> right? So um, so I started looking into what, what the heck is a Paschal full moon? What the heck is an ecclesiastical equinox? And so before I get into this, actually, let me just go back up to the previous slide. Um, and I'll share that um, we heard today Eileen reading from the book of John. And so in the early Christian church, Christian communities all celebrated Easter on different days. And part of the reason was they knew that Jesus's death and resurrection had happened around Passover time. Now, in the book of John, um, John says that Jesus died before the Passover, and that's why the officials wanted him taken down. The other three Gospels um, have Passover happening before his death because they, they say that the Last Supper was a Passover supper. And so Passover is actually seven or eight days long, depending on uh, what uh, version of Ju uh, Judaism people practice. So in the early Christian church, Easter was celebrated on a variety of different days because some some communities put it at the beginning of Passover, some put it at the end of Passover, and so there was a, a lot of uh, variation. And in 325 AD, uh, a group of bishops got together uh, called the Council of Nicaea to try to come up with some standardization of stuff. And uh, as they were trying to standardize stuff, they wanted to come up with a consistent date for Easter, and they also wanted to move away from the Jewish calendar a little bit just because they were recognizing that Christianity was its own uh, religion. Now, just so you're aware, Passover and the Jewish calendar relies on solar calendar as well as lunar calendar, and the lunar calendar has 29 and a half days. So that's part of why the date of Passover moves around quite a bit. Um, and so here's the formula that the Council of Nicaea came up with in 325 AD. So first, uh, they said, um, we're going to tie Easter to the ecclesiastical 
equinox. And that was a new word on me. I had never heard of that before. Um, so um, the what we sometimes call the actual equinox or the astronomical equinox or the spring equinox, and sometimes it's called the vernal equinox, is not always on the same day of the year. Um, it's usually around March 19th through the 22nd. Yeah. It, it is the day that the sun is directly overhead, that day and night are the same length, and it's dependent on where people are located geographically on the planet when the astronomical equinox occurs. So the Council of Nicaea picked a date and they said the ecclesiastical equinox is always going to be March 21st. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter when spring actually starts, doesn't matter when the dates are, are you know, such that darkness and light are the same. Always going to start on March 21st. Okay, so they're trying to like nail it. And then they said the first Paschal full moon after the ecclesiastical equinox. So the Paschal full moon is the 14th day of a lunar month. And remember I said a lunar month is 29 and a half days. It's the 14th day, regardless of when the actual moon is full up in the sky. All right, I know. So then we get the definition of Easter, the first Sunday after the first lunar month, day 14, after March 21st. So we have kind of this wonky, um, calendar, but this is what we have still even today. And the result is in Western Christianity, Easter will generally fall sometime between March 22nd and April 25th. However, that's not all. Um, so Western Christianity includes Catholicism, a lot of Protestant churches, and in the year 1582, uh, Western civilization actually switched to something called the Gregorian calendar set by Pope Gregory. Well, the Eastern Orthodox Church still follows the Julian calendar set by Julius Caesar in 46 BC. So Eastern Orthodox Christians celebrate Easter between April 3rd and May 10th. Now, what's my point? Why am I yammering on and on about the many different days Easter can take place? Well, part of what I love about the description of when Easter occurs is that in Christianity, traditionally, Easter is seen as the resurrection of Jesus. And in unity, our co-founder Charles Fillmore defined Easter as our raising of our spiritual consciousness to awaken to the divine within our raising of our spiritual consciousness to awaken to the divine within. And the great thing about this is we can do this any day. It doesn't have to be Easter Sunday. It doesn't have to be the day that everyone else says is Easter Sunday. It doesn't even have to be in the springtime, right? That in each moment we can always awaken to that divine presence. And so I love that uh, the scheduling of Easter kind of reminds me of that a little bit. All right, so now we're going to get into talking about the kingdom of heaven, and sometimes it's also known as the kingdom of God. And so, of course, I have another joke for you, just because. Um, so a young boy was walking down the street, and he bumped into a man he'd never met before, and the man said, hey, son, can you please tell me the way to the post office? And the boy said, yeah, you go down the street, you hang a right, and it's right there on the corner. 
And the man said, oh, that's wonderful, thank you. And by the way, I'm your new minister, and I'd love to see you in church on Sunday. And if you come to church, I'll tell you how to get to the kingdom of heaven. And the boy said, why should I come to church? You didn't even know where the post office was. <laughs> All right, well, many times when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, questions come up like, when is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And where is the kingdom of God? So this is what we're going to talk about today. All right. And as always, um, I turn to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, remembering that in unity, we practice metaphysical Bible interpretation, looking for the deeper meaning beyond what is written there. So starting out with when is the kingdom of God, I went to the book of Mark, and actually many of the gospels refer to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So I did uh, pick and choose, and I'm not sharing everything, all the readings with you today. But the book of Mark, scholars believe is the oldest gospel, the first written gospel. And this is from the very first chapter in the book of Mark. And it says, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven has come near, has come near. And sometimes that's translated is, is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. And all these quotes are from the New Revised Standard Version updated edition, which is what the NRSVE stands for. So we remember in unity that the word repent means rethink, change your mind, have a new idea. And so Jesus is saying here the kingdom of God has great reminder, like if I have thinking that God's out there or the kingdom of God is, is up in the sky or you know, I can only get there after I die, it's a reminder to rethink to think again, to envision where is the kingdom of God? Jesus is saying it's right here, right now. It is at hand. It is come near. It is closer than our heartbeat, closer than our hands. All right, so then looking deeper into the book of Mark as to what is the kingdom of God, As you know, Jesus told many parables, stories, and one of them he talked about was the mustard seed. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. All right, I love this because the image of God as a mustard seed, something teeny tiny that has huge potential in it, something that's our source, something that can grow and make a difference and benefit countless others. I like thinking about that kingdom of God as that um, substance that we all draw on to live and move and have our being. Finally, where is the kingdom of God? So now we're in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. 
And in where is the kingdom of God? Jesus told everybody another parable. He said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Has anyone here ever made bread? I'm seeing a few people. Yeah, okay. Has anyone here ever eaten bread? Most of us, hopefully. Okay, so when you're eating bread, you don't take a bite and be like, oh, that's the flour, and take another bite, and oh, that's the yeast, and take another bite, and oh, that's the water, because if, if it's, if you're tasting yeast and flour and water, you're not, it's not bread, right? It's something, something sounds horribly wrong. But when we're eating bread, it's all mixed together. It's all part of the whole. And so this brings us to the idea of the fourth dimension. And we are often said to live in a three-dimensional world, a world that has length, breadth, thickness, or depth. And the fourth dimension, unity defines as realization, doing away with time, space, and all conditions. But that realization encompasses the first three dimensions as well. So we can have that realization, that awareness of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven, right here, right now, in our everyday, ordinary lives. And I love that this parable where Jesus is talking about that um, the, the kingdom of God is like, is like the yeast in the bread. It's like this everyday activity. This woman is making food for her family. It's something that people are eating, which most of us do every day. And so we're seeing that the kingdom of God is incorporated into these very everyday act activities that we participate in. Now, sometimes realization is also called demonstration. And um, when I was going through school to become a licensed unity teacher, I felt a little uncomfortable with this word demonstration because I thought what that meant is that I had to prove to someone else that I was spiritual or prove to someone else that I was holy enough. And what I learned was that in unity, the idea of realization or demonstration is primarily focused on what happens in our consciousness. Now, the reality is, is that there may be times we have a demonstration in the outer. I don't know about you all, but I have had physical healings, even when I was told medically there might not be a lot of hope. And I have had times when I got new jobs when I was not feeling like that was a very likely possibility for me. And we heard this beautiful story from Eileen this morning about Jesus's friends and family having an experience of Jesus still being around and still being present even after his death. And so we know that a realization or a demonstration can happen in the outer, and it can also happen in the inner. Maybe we have a physical condition that we are not going to heal from, but we have an awareness holy, vibrant, and alive, living the divine life in every moment, regardless of physical conditions. And that can be our demonstration as well. I think, um, I think one thing that this reminds me of also is that um, whatever our situation or circumstance, we can always claim that it leads to something good. And perhaps you've had the same experience as well, that 
Sometimes when I've gone through challenges in my life, uh, I realize later that they have led to really good things. Now, this isn't to say that I would want to go back and go through those challenges again. And uh, it's hard for me to say that those challenges were good because they were uncomfortable or I was unhappy during those times, but I can still recognize that good came out of them. And so when I go through challenges now, I try to remember to affirm I claim my good through this and every experience. I affirm that blessing is coming to me through this experience. All right, now we're gonna talk about the book of Revelation, everybody's favorite book of the Bible. Did anyone just go, uh? <laughs> a little bit? All right, so the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It is apocalyptic, which means it's mysterious, it's symbolic, it has a lot of metaphysical language. Um, unfortunately, there are people who like to take the book of Revelation literally and use it to scare people or scare themselves. And in unity, remember, we practice metaphysical Bible interpretation. Uh, we don't get super hung up on whether um, the, the stories of the Bible actually occurred the way they were written down. We're looking for the deeper meaning. And so um, I love that the book of Revelation speaks about something called the city of God. And I think this is another word for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And the book of Revelation also compares the city of God to oppressive human societies. So human societies where there are vast inequities, where the rich get richer at the expense of the poor, or where the powerful become more powerful at the expense of the powerless. And so the, um, the book of Revelation is contrasting that type of really stratified, uh, inequitable human society with the city of God. And sometimes the city of God is called New Jerusalem. So there's a great author uh, named Marcus Borg, and he wrote this book called uh, Reading the Bible Again for the First Time. I don't know if anyone has, has heard of him or read his book, but I want to read to you um, some of what he shares about the New Jerusalem or the city of God. Here's what Marcus Borg says. He says, the significance of the New Jerusalem is universal. Not only is it huge with open gates, but the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In this great city next to the river of the water of life is the tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. It is the city of light in which there is no more night. It is the city of God in which God and the Lamb dwell with humankind. Many of the details in the book of Revelation are specific to earthly life. The new Jerusalem is on earth, even though it is a new earth and a new heaven. Kings and nations remain in the Revelation vision, for they come streaming to the light of the new Jerusalem. The city's tree of life is for the healing of nations, and the gates of the city are open to the world. So while Revelation's vision recalls the language of paradise, and in that sense it is paradise restored, it is not a vision of individuals communing with God in an idyllic garden. It is a vision of humans living together in a city, and it is the opposite of life in the other type of city, the world of empire. As such, 
Revelation's concluding vision is perhaps best understood as the dream of God, God's dream for humankind. God's dream for humankind. I love that idea. I love that idea of the city of God, something that we create in our human lives right here, right now. And part of what God envisions for us, the highest and best, where we have an egalitarian society, where we move away from that idea of empire and This also reminds me back again to the idea of the fourth dimension of accessing that divine presence right here, right now in our human existence. I was curious what Charles Fillmore thought about the New Jerusalem. And so um, I looked this up in the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary where Charles wrote out his ideas on definitions of uh, different biblical terms. And here's what Charles had to say about New Jerusalem. He said that it was a place of peace and that it was centered in the human heart. A place of peace centered in the human heart. And he went on to say this, many people wonder why they do not develop divine love more quickly. Here's the reason. They make a wall of separation between the Jew and the Gentile the religious and the secular, the good and the bad. Divine love sees no such difference between persons. It is principle and it feels its own perfection everywhere. It feels the same in the heart of the sinner as in the heart of the saint. And when we let this truth into our heart and pull down all the walls of separation, we shall feel the flow of infinite love. What a great, great definition of the New Jerusalem, in my opinion. I also uh, particularly like that we uh, learned about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the city of God, the New Jerusalem today, the fact that this represents love, because in um, unity, which um, where we study one of the 12 powers every month, the power for the month of April is the power of love. Yeah, pretty cool. And we know that that power which is in the divine is in each of us as well, and every person on this planet. So this Easter, my hope for all of us is that we continue our practice. We continue exploring, seeking, where is that kingdom of God, that kingdom of heaven in my life? How do I bring it into my daily activities as close as my hands, as close as my breath, when I'm making food for my family, when I'm eating, how do I see that as divine? How do I recognize the divine as a mustard seed, something that I can draw on for big results? How do I recognize the divine as that sacred city where the idea of empire is let go and everyone is welcome? And I know that one way that we bring these ideas into our consciousness is through our practice of meditation and our focus on the power of love. And so we're gonna take a little bit of time today to spend um, meditating on the divine power of love. And so I invite everyone to settle into your chair and breathe in and breathe out, feel your feet on the floor, relax fully. 
into that seat. And we're going to practice a loving kindness meditation. And so first, I invite you to call to mind someone or something for whom it is easy for you to feel love. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a pet, maybe it's a plant or a place. I invite you to feel that love for that person, pet, plant, place. Envisioning it like a pink cord stretching between you and the beloved, where pink light shines from your heart to the beloved, and the beloved radiates that pink light back to you. And let's just take a few moments basking in that pink light of love in the silence. And now I invite you to call to mind someone or something you feel neutral about. Maybe it's about people who work at a store you shop at. Maybe it's about colleagues that you don't know very well, but you know enough to say hello to. Maybe it's a place, maybe it's a plant. I invite you to think about something about which you feel neutral. And again, envision that pink light of love starting at your heart, extending towards what you feel neutral about, and envision that pink light being radiated back to you. And we'll take a few moments and bask in that pink light of love in the silence. Okay, so now I invite you to call to mind someone that maybe you don't get along with so well. Maybe it's that person who pushes your buttons. Maybe it's that person who cuts you off on the road on the way here. Maybe it's that seagull that left a mess on your car. I invite you to call to mind someone or something about which you have a negative opinion. 
And when you have that person or that thing in mind, again, let's practice shining that pink light from our heart toward that person or that situation and envisioning the pink light radiating back to us. And let's take a few moments basking in that pink light in the silence. And as we end our time in meditation, we remember that we always have this power to radiate that pink light of love to those we love, to those we feel neutral about, and to those who may push our buttons. We know that love is the key that unlocks that city of God. And so for this ability to extend love and to be the presence of love in the world. We're so, so grateful. So we say, thank you, God. So it is. Amen. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you so much. It's time for our offering. <clears throat> and we'd like to thank everyone who has donated to Unity by mail. And we continue to appreciate any checks that are sent here to the church at 800 South Pearl Street, 98531. You can also donate on the website at Unity. And we're always grateful for your donations of time and talent. So thank you all for what we do here. Let's say our offering prayer together as we hold our offerings in our hands and hearts. Divine love through me blesses and multiplies all that I have, all that I give, all that I receive, and all that I am. Sing of thanks together. 
We bless these gifts and send them forth to heal, bless, and prosper. They are evidence of our faith and belief. They do good work in the world and return to us, multiply abundantly, and so it is. And now it is time for our healing prayer. And if you would like to focus our group healing energy for someone, you can speak out their name or hold them quietly in your heart. Members of our community here have requested that we send out healing prayers and energy to all the people and animals displaced by war and by natural disasters. The members of our communities who must deal with basic human needs while living without a home. And any others that you would like to mention or just hold quietly. Beloved Mother, Father, God, we ask for the highest and greatest good for all and endeavor to see them through your eyes, knowing all is in divine order. Amen. And our prayer of protection, let us say that together. The light of God surrounds us. The love of God enfolds us. The power of God protects us. The presence of God watches over us. Wherever we are, God is, and all is well. And it's time for a song. So while you are rising and circling up, I'll take this moment to thank Audrey for a wonderful Easter message, uh, for Joyce and the fabulous music especially the opening music uh, and um, so cool. Tom for coming early, getting us all set up to uh, Zoom and I'm trying to say a word like this projecting, I don't know. And Joanne for the slides, Eileen for the reading. And for all of you who um, are going to come and join us for our Easter brunch and for all the goodies you got, thank you.
Thank you. Thank you.